So, uh, Elizabeth and Matt Fitzsimmons, um, kind of an interesting couple I'd like to tell you about. They were uh, married a couple of years. They were trying to start a family and uh, unable, unable to have uh, a child of their own. So they decided to adopt um, a baby girl from China. So they go through the process, which was pretty, pretty involved. It was about 14 months of a lot of paperwork correspondence. Uh, finally, they're approved. They get a, a picture uh, of this really cute little girl uh, that's going to be their daughter. They named her uh, Natalie. Then they get the, uh, the, the, the green light to, to go to China and, and pick her up. So they get there. Uh, I think it's the, the next day um, is the point when they're going to get her. They're at the hotel and the, uh, the orphanage or a representative brings the baby to the hotel to these parents, and you know it, it's something's very wrong. Um, the baby that they're handed looks nothing like the baby in the picture that they got a few months before. Um, she has this big, huge uh, scar on her back, and she's having clearly having trouble breathing. She's thin, she's pale. She was a year old at this point. She couldn't sit up, she couldn't hold a bottle. They said that she had the worst case of uh, diaper rash you'd ever seen. So it was terrible. Uh, clearly she had been neglected and something had happened between the, uh, the picture that was taken of her early on and now the baby that they were meeting in this hotel room. Now, they're still in China at this point. Immediately, they, uh, I guess they call somebody else from the orphanage. Um, oh, no, they call a doctor first. Doctor comes in, looks at the baby, and anyway, he explains what happened. The scar was the result of a botched surgery to remove a tumor from her spine. Because of that, um, they're told that she'll never walk again. She's paralyzed from the waist down. So it's kind of a nightmare. Um, it's obviously not what the parents were promised. The orphanage is very much uh, in a bit of a panic, very embarrassed, very uh, apologetic. So right away they say, "Well, we'll 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 remedy this. We will uh, we'll give you a new baby, and we'll expedite the process. We'll have you a new baby, you know, in two days." I guess they were scheduled to leave in three, so you'll be able to go home on time uh, with a different baby. All good. Uh, problem solved. According to the orphanage, they kind of felt like they had dodged a bullet. So this is what uh, the mom, Elizabeth, says. She wrote this in a, it's an article about this moment and this baby. How could we leave her? Had I given birth to a child with these conditions, I wouldn't have left her in the hospital. I pictured myself boarding the plane with some faceless replacement child and then explaining to friends and family that she wasn't Natalie and that we left Natalie in China because she was too damaged. 
that the deal had been a healthy baby, and she definitely wasn't. And then she says, um, this, this Elizabeth, she says, uh, I knew this was my test, my life's worth distilled to this moment. I was shaking my head no before they even finished the explanation, the substitution of babies. We didn't want another baby, I told them. We wanted our baby, the one sleeping right over there in the corner of the room. She's our daughter, I said. We love her and we want her. And she describes her husband, Matt, who had been sitting on the bed listening to all this. And she said he lifted his glasses, wiped tears from his eyes, and just nodded in agreement. So they took her. They took her home. And the story actually has a great ending. Um, the diagnosis by the Chinese doctor was wrong. Two years later, uh, she's walking and she's talking. She's doing great. This is what the mother said. It's tempting to think that our decision was validated by the fact that everything turned out okay. But for me, that's really not the point. Our decision was right because she was our daughter and we loved her. We wouldn't have chosen the burdens that we anticipated, but we would trade nothing. We are better for it and stronger than we thought. She's our girl. Isn't that so great? Just so honorable, so heroic. Imagine, imagine being them, looking at this baby and what they were facing if they took her home. I thought about this. I wonder what that couple would have done if they were told about her health, the baby's health, before they left for China. What if they had gotten a, what if they had gotten a call a week before the, the flight and said, listen, this is the deal. And what I just explained, the scar and the, the paralysis and the, the weight loss. What if they had more accurate pictures of her and her health in advance, would they have still taken her? You know, if they hadn't seen her and held her and heard her in that hotel room, might they have made another decision? And proximity matters, doesn't it? The closer we get to someone, some circumstance, the closer you get, the more our hearts change. But if you don't get close, and if you kind of call in the shots from a distance, and you never really get up close, it's easy to say, no, we want another baby. I got a friend of mine who's uh, 
She's been very involved for years in the, in the pro-life movement here in New York. She's awesome. She's uh, very uh, articulate, very aware of the facts, super compassionate. Most of, the, most of the work she's done over the years has really been outreach to people that have been affected by abortion, people who are trying to come to terms with it, really good people who just made a really bad decision. You know what she pushes for more than anything? I mean, it's New York State. She's like, things aren't going to change a whole lot in New York in terms of protection for the unborn. But she really pushes for sort of minor laws or requirements like this. If you're pregnant and you're in a bit of a crisis and you're contemplating not having the baby, you at least got to take a look at the sonogram. Take a look at the ultrasound images. Just take a look at the baby that you're carrying. And the people on the other side just fight like mad to prevent that. Like, no, don't let them see pictures. Don't let them see the life. Because if they do, if they get close, their hearts may change. When you let yourself get close, it seems to me, our hearts just expand. And it doesn't expand when you keep distance. When you cross the other side of the street, look at this parable. That's exactly what happens in this parable from Jesus. This guy gets mugged. He gets beat up. He's thrown on the side of a road, a ditch. There's two characters. They're two church guys, really. There's a priest and a Levite. They both pass him by. Actually, they do, they do more than pass him by. They cross the other side of the street. They're walking down the street, and this poor guy who's been beaten up is laying on their side of the street. They see him, and they cross the street. They don't want to get close. Well, we kind of know why the priest did what he did, because uh, of all the, the religious rules, some of which were ridiculous, when you look back at it. The fear was if he came in contact with a dead body, then he'd be you know, unclean, and then he couldn't perform his rituals in the temple. So it was like, no, no, he may be dead, so I can't go near him. Well, he wasn't dead. He was very much alive. He was just beat up. But this guy never bothered to figure that out. He ran across the street. And then the Levite, Levites were kind of like lesser church, less, I don't know, less official church people, temple people. They were ministers, different kinds of ministers, but they weren't as a big a deal as the, as the priest. Well, he does the same thing. He sees the guy beat up and he crosses the street. Why did he cross? We kind of know why the priest did. How about the Levite? Well, they say maybe just because he followed the lead of the priest. He saw what the priest did, so he was like, I'm going to do what he did. They also speculate maybe it was this. Back at that time and that region, people getting beaten up and mugged was common on the road. 
so what they would do was you'd get like a decoy. You get a person laying on the street. They look like they're in need. You walk over, you kneel down to kind of help them, and then out of nowhere, out of the woods come bad guys, and they'd mug you, and they'd rob you. So they think maybe it was that. He was just like, I can't, I don't know, I can't get to, I don't know what the deal is, so I'm, I'm crossing the street. Think about it, both of these two guys, it all stemmed from fear. Fear of contamination, fear of the unknown, fear of danger. Fear kept these guys from being the neighbor to this poor soul. Fear made them cross the street. And Jesus is clearly saying in this parable, don't cross the street. When you see somebody in need, you don't cross the street away, you go to, because he's your neighbor. He's the one you're supposed to be with. You know, Pope Francis, um, he was elected Pope on March 13th, 2013. It was during Lent. And, uh, well, two weeks after his election, it's now Holy Week. On Holy Thursday, his first Holy Thursday as Pope, he, he said something and he did something really significant. Both of these things, this thing he said and this thing he did, told us a lot about who he was, what he was gonna be about, what his agenda was gonna be. Holy Thursday traditionally is kind of a, it's a big deal for priests because that's the day when we celebrate and remember the, the Last Supper which was really the first mass, right? So these were the first priests. So on Holy Thursday, what priests do is they, uh, they'll often renew their, the vows they made the day they were ordained. And the bishop at the cathedral or the pope in Rome, they'll speak directly to priests about priesthood. So early that morning, he had this mass for priests, this brand new pope. He's two weeks on the job, and he's now got the opportunity to speak to the priest of the world. Kind of a big deal. What he says, like, priests were listening. Priests wanted to know what he was going to say. Well, he challenged us. He kind of lit up the priests. He told us to stop hiding in churches where it's safe and distant from the people. The church is important, you gotta be in the church, but you can't plant yourself in the church. What happens in the church should lead us out of the church into the lives of people, like the poor guy who got mugged on the side of the road. And he told us to get out of the church and start bringing the gospel to the streets or to the beach. And he said, get your hands dirty. He said, good shepherds get close to their sheep. Good shepherds, he said, live with the smell of the sheep. Because good shepherds get close. And they don't cross the street. 
So that's what he said to us that morning. That night was the Mass of the Lord's Supper. And a lot of you have probably been to at it in your parishes. It's a great liturgy, Holy Thursday night, when we celebrate the Last Supper. And part of that night is this great reenacting of the washing of the feet, because that's what he did at the Last Supper. Jesus, he washed the feet of the Twelve. So in the churches, we do that. The priest will go around and wash the feet of 12 parishioners. Well, in Rome, they used to do the same thing. The Pope would wash the feet of 12 priests at St. Peter's. Well, this brand new Pope that year said, we're going to do it different. We're not going to be in the church. We're going to go to a prison. They went to the local prison in Rome and arranged to have 12 prisoners have their feet washed. So it wasn't priests, it wasn't all guys, it wasn't even all Catholics. There were non-Catholics who had their feet washed, non-Christians had their feet washed. It was a total statement from this new pope about where our church should be. It was what Jesus spoke of in this gospel. It was what exactly what the priest and the Levite didn't do. They crossed the street. He said, no, you go to where the people are banged up. You go to where people are hurting. You be that couple. You be that married couple. And you rescue that sick little girl. And you raise her. And anywhere you look, wherever you look, Whoever's weak, whoever's vulnerable, whoever's down and out, they're your neighbor. And you go after them. And pretty much, if you don't, then give it up. Because you're just part of some lame club. And you check boxes to make yourself feel good. But if you're not going to pursue the person in need, the ones who are weakest, then you're not being the neighbor. I mean, this is what Pope Francis said this today. It's amazing. Technology now. We, we know what the guy said a couple of hours ago. He was referencing this parable. The Pope said this. This is the prayer that I suggest for you today. This is the prayer. Lord, that I might see and have compassion just like you see me and have compassion on me that we might have compassion on those whom we encounter along the way. Above all, on those who suffer and are in need, to draw near to them and to do what we can to give them a hand. And it's that simple. I mean, if that's not what the, if that's not what the church is doing, then the church is doing something wrong. It's the question that, that the, the scribe asked in the parable. Who's my neighbor? Who's your neighbor? I don't know. Think about somebody who kind of scares you. The way the priest was scared. The way the, the Levite was scared. And it force them across the street for whatever reason. You know, maybe it's somebody you know who you 
you can't stand. And for very good reason. Like, there's a long history. And they're like the most toxic person you ever encountered. They're like the poor guy in the, in the ditch on the side of the road. They don't think they are. They don't acknowledge that they are. But they're such a train wreck of a person. And they've caused so much harm in your life. Like, that's who they are. They may be arrogant, and they may be in denial, and in no way see themselves that way, but that's who they are. They're the guy in the ditch. And this gospel tells us, like, I, somehow, some way, we got to keep trying. And for God's sake, not cross the street. So there's the question, the question that the guy in the beginning of the gospel, so the, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who's our neighbor? Who isn't our neighbor? Get close and find your neighbor.